there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. <laughs> Dr. Batar, in your long storied career, has anybody ever told you to humble yourself before your gut bacteria? No, but it would make sense if they did, because I think that's probably a good good piece of advice. Now, yeah, it's kind of a funny thing to think about. I mean, it's like we're learning so much about microbiome, we could do shows on it and never run out of things to say. And, and the more we're looking at it, the more we are now realizing uh, life doesn't exist without the bugs. The fact that a uh, modern medical man declared war on bugs was basically, in essence, declaring war on our own lives. Yeah, I think that's, that would be an accurate way of putting it, because if the microbiome goes out, you have basically passed a sentence regarding your health. You basically... It's a, your microbi- if your microbiome goes out, Robert, you've basically got a death sentence, I would say. Yeah, and, and you know what? This opening article here, Advanced Medicine, this is the week we do every, every time of the week. This is where we go, Advanced Medicine. We're going to go Advanced Medicine. There's a headline here at Life uh, or IFLScience.com, whatever this is. It's linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. It says, bacteria in our guts may be communicating with our DNA, study shows. Maybe. Why is the microbiome seemingly so important for almost every function in the body? You think there might be some interplay with the DNA? You know, this goes right back to, again, Dr. Lipton's work, where the environment is creating the signal to the DNA, to, to our genetics, allowing the genetics not to be expressed in a certain manner. So sort of a moment of duh here because, of course, anything to do with the environment that we're in, and when we say the environment, we're not just talking about the outside environment, what you're breathing, what you're drinking, what you're eating, but you're also talking about the internal environment. And if you think about this, we've talked about this on the show before, from the mouth to the anus, the gastrointestinal tract is actually a continuum of the external environment. It's the only, it's a tunnel, if you will. You're kind of going to the outside environment through the body, back out to the outside environment, from the anus to the mouth. It's, it's a continuum of the external environment. And as food passes through and water passes through that tunnel, it gets absorbed into the internal environment. So people think of the gastrointestinal system as really part of the outside world. It's really not. I mean, it's part of the inside world. It's really not. It's part of the outside world. Right. But the point being, again, that that microbiome that we're talking about, having an intricate um, relationship with our genetics is, is a moment of death there things that might have some issue because right. obviously this is exactly goes back to the biology belief. Our environment and its and its impact on our genetics mm-hmm. causes the genes to express in a certain manner. And of course the microbiome, if it's destroyed or if it's not intact or if it's compromised in any shape, fashion or form, is going to affect the expression of our genetics, which will then lead to eventually some type of pathology if it's in the negative side or right. optimal health if it's on the positive side. You know, Dr. Batar, the way you describe what you describe reminds me why years ago I made a decision. Anytime I talked about the, the alimentary canal opening from the mouth and out the other end, I always said out the planet Uranus. 
the reason I yeah. say that is after hearing you, I'm like, oh, I remember why. Because anytime you use a sentence that includes mouth and anus in it at the same time, it's like, it's kind of gross. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, but, so. But, but, you know, this is, this is an important part of health. When you start talking about bowel movements and, and the consistency of the stool and what it looked like, and, you know, people think that's kind of gross, but that's one of the best ways of assessing the state of your health. I don't disagree. I don't. I just, like I said, I made that uh, just a humorous aside because I, I think about that years ago. Why did I say that? And I'm like, you talked about it. And I'm like, oh, I remember why I, I make jokes about the planet Uranus in that context with that other word in it being mouth. And that's all. But yes, no, I'm in a hundred percent agree with, with you because that elementary canal taken care of it is critical for everything that happens. It's like, you know, if we talk about the simple life forms to the most complex, it's like, you know, there's evidence that we brought the sea with us, right? If we came from the sea at one point, we brought the sea in, in our blood plasma, in our lymph, etc. cetera. Uh, we brought the soil in with us, like in the colon, the large intestine. And there's so much that is kind of mimicking from a, a microcosm to a macrocosm. You find these patterns emerge and they're consistent. And when we say we learn from nature, where medical bubaconus manis or whatever says, oh, we must conquer nature. It's like it's absurd. It's suicidal. Yeah, you never want to mess with Mother Nature, right? That's an old adage. That's nothing new. Don't mess with Mother Nature. Nature knows best. Nature is how we got here, and nature will, you know, this is this is the definitive source for all information is if you look at nature. And to defy nature, and when we're saying nature, when you talk about how the human body works, the nature of the human body is defined in physiology. So physiology is basically how the body works. Um, so we're talking about, when we talk about nature, it's basically the physiology of the planet. Nature would be actually analogous to the physiology of the planet. Wouldn't it be, Robert? I mean, that's actually Absolutely. a fine moment there, I think. That's an <laughs> but basically, um, the point being that how nature works, it behooves us to understand and study nature because it, it basically holds all the secrets. And it's also very simple. And we tend to complicate things, and just because we don't understand something, we tend to say, well, it, it's, um, you know, we, we discard it because we don't understand it. But there are many things that happen in nature that we don't understand, but that, like how the sun rises, sun sets, you know, if you think back in prehistoric man, man didn't understand these simple concepts and of, of, of how planetary movements worked or uh, the rotation of uh, the tides, for example, related to uh, the phase of the moon, et cetera, et cetera. But nature has its own inherent genius within it. And without having to try to understand it, because we're not capable of understanding it, we should at least just look at nature and use it as a teaching um, point and use it as a teacher to teach us what we need to know, as opposed to just because we don't understand it, ridiculing it. And modern medicine does that. Modern medicine, if it doesn't understand something or they can't explain it, they, they ridicule it. it. Yeah. Exactly, they ridicule it, they, and then they, they, well, they ridicule it, and then they violently oppose it, and then they finally, once they understand it, then always accept it as having been known the truth, the three phases of truth. Like Seminole-wise, when he talked about mm -hmm. the bacteria, because we couldn't understand it, because we couldn't see it, they ridiculed him, and he died in the insane asylum. But then later on, when Lewinhook discovered the microscope and we could actually see bacteria, then, of course, it explained what the observations of Seminole-wise uh, were all about. And so. Yes. That would be a great teaching point to say just because we don't understand something doesn't mean we should ridicule it. We need to understand it and say, okay, let's, let's parallel nature. Let's, mm -hmm. under, let's just go along with it until we are able to comprehend and understand what's going on. But that's not how we operate. That's not how man operates.
Yeah. Well, in a, in a uh, you know a generic or general sense, if we could say how uh, genes manifest, we talk about epigenetics, how the environment impacts gene expression. This is this is the science of that. Now they're getting down to a micro level, talking about gut bacteria and how they secrete. In this case, a molecule called nitric oxide. It's not like no one knows about nitric oxide. It's known and studied, but they're talking about how uh, this is a communication tool with our cells and our own DNA, how it's causing gene expression to be altered. Now, obviously, this is a, not a human study because, uh, you know, it could be uh, a little bit uh, messy, so to speak. But they, they, they analyzed this in terms of the microbiome of a worm, I think an earthworm of some kind. And they saw that these bacteria interacted directly with the DNA, caused different, differing expression that could create disease and even death versus vitality in life and it's like what can we learn from this in terms of manifestation of proteins like in alzheimer's right how do we get the gut microbiome how do we relate this to metals as well as we talk about mercury or aluminum and things like this yeah so you know it's interesting to first understand that when the epigenetics movement um, began and when dr lipton made his work available to the public and people start to understand it prior to that the genome project was supposed to conquer all disease because the 20,000 genes were going to define everything. But then when you start looking at the number of proteins, and I don't know what the number of proteins in the body are, but I think it's over 100,000, then it's obviously not possible to, for 20,000 genes to be expressing 100,000 proteins because the correlation is one gene to one protein. So obviously there's a variable in there that allows a gene to express a different type of protein. That's where the environment comes in. So the entire movement of epigenetics that we were just talking about has created a massive shift, which a lot of people still haven't jumped onto that that bandwagon yet. Because the paradigm shift that's occurred hasn't encompassed everybody yet, so far to say. Let's just say it that way. But right. this, the microbiome aspect that you're talking about, and the nitrous oxide aspect that you're talking about, you know, there's so much more to this, and the, the how the genes will actually express not not just the parts that we understand from an epigenetic standpoint, but then as you mentioned, like heavy metals, how do they interact with the, with the heavy metals and, and other aspects and then express themselves as, let's say, myasthenia gravis or mm-hmm. ALS or, or autism or Alzheimer's or whatever the case is. The point being that, again, it falls back into that category of things that we just haven't figured out yet. We think mm-hmm. that we haven't determined and haven't figured out the causation aspect, but understanding the basic fundamental aspect of the microbiome has a massive, massive impact right. on the manifestation of pathology and also on how well a person is functioning physiologically and basically, ultimately, wellness in the state of a person's health. Um, well, it's, uh, it's also about, uh, uh, Dr. Bittar, decision-making. The worm yeah. in the wild is smarter than the human in, in the domestic Western lifestyle. Because yep. they say that a worm, you know, like as a d- experiment with the microbiome of the worm, the worm, what they say in the wild, would make decisions about, well, he would stop eating things like the bacteria that would produce this nitric oxide to excess to create this, this aberrant uh, genetic expression. But humans continue to eat the garbage that's causing this aberrant genetic expression and then going to a doctor for some kind of toxic chemical to address the thing that they screwed up with in the first place. By looking at medicine and drugs as a solution to what they've done wrong in terms of what they're eating. Well, there's one one additional part that you forgot. We're actually genetically modifying, irradiating, homogenizing, and pasteurizing that food first, 
So we're screwing up the food before we even get into that. You know, you said that we, That's the, the point. So we're Man is stupid. The worms are smarter than us. Exactly, exactly. So we're, we're actually not only eating garbage, but we're making that garbage into more toxic garbage. And then you're absolutely right. So the worms are definitely smarter than us. All right. Well, great news here. We've just learned that man is stupider than a worm. A worm's actually much more intelligent. Based on choices in the wild it would make as far as eating a worm-appropriate diet. What is a human-appropriate diet? Maybe we'll get into that controversy. Seems to be more controversial than what religion you are. What are you eating? All right. We'll also talk about fascism. Come to America in the guise of the vaccine religion and HPV shots. Next. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. And those archives are good. They're available all over the web. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, UK Health Radio, YouTube, GCN, GCNlive.com, and, of course, AdvancedMedicine.com now with a searchable database uh, reference to all of our advanced medicine programs together, Dr. Batar. They've got a number of shows already. You can actually search the topics? Yep, that's right. We can search the topics and... On the YouTube, you can do that, and actually on the IADFW component, too, we've got probably, I think we've got at least 10 videos, about 10 to 15 minutes long each, where we go into delve into some deep topics, and probably another 12 videos that are ready to be loaded up in the next uh, couple of days. Nice, nice. And we've got links up in the show notes at robertscabell.com. We also want to say, uh, well, for all of our advanced medicine listeners, if you go to robertscabell.com and sign up for email alerts, uh, we send out, Super Don sends out occasionally, uh, we're going to show you how you can win a, a two-ounce bottle of CBD oil, plus CBD oil, cafe mocha flavor that I love. And uh, only way you can win is to get up on the newsletter. So uh, get plugged into that as well. Now, fascism, our favorite form of government, not we're not into mandating and forcing you to believe what we believe or live how we live. We like to be living examples. We like to lead by example. But there are states now moving, and the federal government's trying to encourage them, certain entities within, or people within, maybe I can call them entities within FDA, trying to say, hey, you got to mandate more of these vaccines. Don't be letting people exempt for any reason, especially not religious or philosophical. Uh, there's a Gardasil push again. They're trying to say that we need to mandate HPV shots. I'm like, first of all, there is no scientific study that has validated their claim that HPV is is a cause of cervical cancer. That's one. Two, there's no evidence that the cervical cancer, or they call it cervical cancer vaccine. It's not. It's an HPV vaccine. Prevents the manifestation of cancer. Some have argued, and there are studies that show that the HPV shot may actually cause cancer of the cervix. And third, of course, where is the freedom to go, you know what, <laughs> I think I've got a better way. I've got my own immune system to deal with it. I don't need you injecting this garbage into my children or me. So, uh, Dr. Batar, you're not into this fascism either, I don't believe. You know, as you're talking, probably, I mean, I could feel myself getting more and more agitated. Um, and probably the people that are watching me on Facebook could probably tell that I was, my body started moving. I just, I just, It just really irks me when I start hearing these types of things, Robert. And, mm-hmm. and the fascism part is not the part that infuriates me. It's a fundamental 
violation of an individual's right, and, and not only just fundamental rights of choice, but this is truly maiming people. This is really damaging people. This is, if you pulled out a gun and tried to shoot at somebody, there would be less, it would be less dangerous than some of these things that are being, ha- that are being done in the name of prevention, in the name of health, in the name of wellness. And you just mentioned, you know, two things. You mentioned uh, the HPV component. Um, and, of course, you can take this argument to any one of the many vaccine arguments. You can talk about the flu. You can talk about the measles. You can talk about um, pretty much anything. You talk about childhood vaccinations. So, you know, the, the, the application of this concept of vaccination, it, it goes so far and so wide and it's so broad but we can narrow it down, and then you start talking about the measles, or you start talking about the flu, or you start talking about whatever you want to talk about. I mean, you know, we haven't talked about whooping cough in a long time, but the association between the whooping cough vaccine and SIDS, the sudden infant death syndrome, you know, we, we, that, that whole conversation has kind of died off. But you don't see as much SIDS anymore because uh, our friends, Mark and David Geyer, when they released their study, when they were talking about or they released their research, when they found the wild type versus the, uh, the, there were two different types. I can't remember the specifics now, but basically there was a specific type of the whooping cough vaccine that was directly related to SIDS. And the correlation of the SIDS death, as, a, as that vaccine went up, the SIDS death went up. And as they start, started bringing those vaccines, the incidence of those vaccines were being administered, became lower and lower. The SIDS death numbers also became lower and lower. And so the correlation was there, and it was directly correlated with it. So my point is that there's so many different avenues that you can go down this vaccination path. Like vaccinations is, is similar to the word transportation. And then from that point, then you can go on to different types of transportation. You've got air transportation, bicycles, cars, trucks, you know, trains. And then from there, you can go into different specific models of cars, different specific models of planes. And each one of these things is another avenue. So when we talk about vaccinations, the impact on health, it's so wide and so broad, and the implications on, on the future of, of uh, people that are being vaccinated with cancer, heart disease, all these chronic diseases, we don't even understand. But if you start looking at the incidence of cancer and heart disease from what it was 20 years ago, it's massively up. And of course, it's directly related back to the vaccine. Well, vaccines, as we know, the gateway medical intervention to a lifelong dependence on pharmaceutical drugs. And some would say it's by design. Uh, in terms of the economic model, it's very profitable because they also own the regulators. That's called regulatory capture. All right, we're going to talk about beliefs related to your genes. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Scott Bell Show. All right, y'all, upcoming events you can find regularly in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. There's also a tab that says upcoming events. Uh, Two of those events that are listed include a webinar coming up on the 28th of this month, if you're listening live, February 2019, the 28th, and that's with Dr. Bittar. We'll talk about autism defined, get into that in a little bit. Also, the big one, I call it the big one, the Advanced Medicine Conference coming up in Pasadena, Los Angeles, California, Memorial Day weekend, the Saturday, Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, and we hope to see you there. We'll get you more details on it. We're going to talk about it, but, you know, since we've been talking genetics and epigenetics uh, this hour, Super Don found another interesting article. And it goes to uh, personal beliefs and morals. Like, 
Well, Dr. Batar has lectured on belief and being the most single most important part of any protocol for health and healing that you endeavor to go under, whether it be allopathic or homeopathic or anything in between, belief. But they're saying in this article, or they're insinuating out of Pennsylvania State University, that some personal beliefs and morals may stem from your genetics. Now, this this smacks me of anything that smacks me of genetic determinism. I kind of have a natural inclination to rebel against because... I'm a free will kind of guy. I recognize that your your eye color is impacted by, you know, that. But, again, morals and personal beliefs, I think that has more to do with your upbringing, your parents, your schooling, and all of the things you encounter. But this, they're trying to argue that maybe it may be genetic. Yeah, you know, I completely 100% agree with you, Robert. So your parents will determine your eye color based upon their genetics, but your parents will also determine your belief system and your and you know if you're if you're both your parents were bigots then you're going to be a bigot and more than likely and until the age of 16 17 when you start to transform into that into the young adult and depending on the influence and how predisposed you are to peer pressure or to strike out on your own chances are you're going to have the same belief system the same thought process as your parents but that doesn't mean that that's genetic you know what i mean so both of them are mm-hmm. determined by your parents but your eye color may be genetic, your belief system and your morals, that, uh, even though it's influenced by your parents and your upbringing, it's, and it comes from your parents, it doesn't mean that it's genetic. So I think that they're lumping it together, and it's completely wrong. Yes, they're both determined by your parents, but one's genetic and one's behavior, one's, one's you know, what you've been exposed to. Well, and also, there, you know, where's the aspect of rebellion, right? Not every kid that has even two virtuous moral parents, you know, a kid can end up making better or worse decisions, I shall say, and you wonder, like, what happened? And the parents even will say, what happened? So there's also the element of individuality. You know, these kids come in, they are soul, and they are unique, and they have experiences, and they're bringing them out in a different way. So how do you say, you know, that would be, was that, is that genetic or not genetic then? Well, you know, it, it kind of made me smile as you were talking about this, because I'm, I'm going to say something that's politically incorrect, but since I have a reputation for being politically incorrect anyway, I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything being risked here. But it's like the evolved parents that didn't vaccinate their child, and then this kid becomes 18 years old right. and shows that he's an imbecile by saying, I don't know how I'm still alive today because my parents are <laughs> vaccinated me. So that's a perfect example of, mm-hmm. of what you're talking about, the opposite, right? I mean, yeah. uh, you've, got, you've got children like your children, my children, that understand this. They can give you the scientific basis for why you shouldn't uh, expose a, a newborn baby to many of these vaccines. And if you're going to do it, then you know, do it when they're four or five years old or when the immune system is more mature and do it without all the preservatives in it and do single dose vials and spread it out over a year or two years or whatever, if you really believe it, or just don't do it versus somebody now that becomes 18 years old and rebels against the parents. So, you know, you can't, it's, Mm -hmm. it's showing that it can go both ways. You know, your parents, your parents can teach you something. And then as you rebel, because this kid basically rebelled, even though his parents were right, in our opinion, his parents were right. He yes. rebelled the opposite way, so it can go either way. Yeah, it was interesting because I interviewed the mom in that case uh, because she's friends yeah. with a, a friend of mine. So it was like we were, it was weird how that happened. I had no idea we were connected. And she's very sincere about her beliefs. And her husband, they're not married, but they also, you know, are on board with that same belief system. And they raised their children to believe that as well. And he rebelled. And we were in the discussion. We were talking about She said, you know, there were times where he was engaged and interested in the topic. 
And I didn't engage with him as well as I think now I would have had I known he had these questions. And I thought this was a really important moment for all parents to pay attention to. Because if your kids show interest at any point in time in a topic and you go, yeah, that kid, yeah, that's great. And you kind of brush it off, even though you're, you're happy they're interested, but you don't engage with them, you know, in court, including in let's go into the argument that is pro-vaccination. Let's let's see why they're arguing for it and really go into the weeds of that. They can come out and be vulnerable like this 18 year old and go, well, he was swayed. He was swayed. They didn't. And she said, you know, I should have engaged more. And there's always that as parents. We can go. I missed that opportunity. And I think this was an opportunity for everybody to go. Hey, if you haven't missed that opportunity yet, take it. Well, I actually heard uh, an interview, too. I didn't hear the interview on the Robert Scott Bell show, but I was hearing it in some other media. I know, Robert, I don't. I'm, I'm disclosing that I actually listen to any other media, which yes. I normally don't, but I just so happen to come across. I apologize from beforehand, you know. Um, so I'm just that's super Don. I did he's, gonna, on a, he's got he's got a zap button. Be careful. That's right. That's right. Zap me. But actually, what was funny was that I heard the mom talking, and what really impressed me was the mom. Even though the child has rebelled and gone off the tangent, you know, and and has missed the boat, the mom was very very proud that. He at least was uh, opinion. He was forming his own opinion, and then she regretted that she hadn't engaged him and helped him mm-hmm. to understand some of these things. But she was also uh, th- th- there was a hint in there that she was proud that the fact that he formulated his own opinion, even if even if the opinion is misdirected or misinformed, mm-hmm. that he had enough good spot to stand up for his own opinion. Which which right. she's right. I, I do appreciate that. Well, um, as a as a parent, I mean. You got kids, I got kids. And, you know, my, my hope and prayer for my kids is that, you know, we've taught them enough that they can engage intellectually, they can ask questions, they can develop their own opinions via, you know, hopefully what we taught them. But more importantly, you know, that they are going to be prepared in their own way to make these decisions because, you know, one day they're adults, right? And yeah. uh, I am appreciative in my own history that at certain points of my young adulthood that I came to conclusions that differed from my upbringing and that I was respected for that. And that I would, you know, again, even I would disagree with this child. Of course, we do. uh, And I don't think that's going to be an issue. But there are going to be things that our kids are going to do that is unique to their experience as their life unfolds on planet Earth. And what can we hope to do as parents? Guide them the best we can to be a, a, a people of integrity and to ask good questions and dig deep enough to not be swayed by, as you said, honeyed words, as referencing sometimes the uh, the founders and others. And, and again, recognizing that they are going to make choices that we are not re- going to agree with. That's just part of their individuality. And that transition, when it takes place at the 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old time frame of age, uh, it's, it's a very critical time anyway. And if they are able to express themselves and they can support their argument, I am... Uh, I feel that as a parent, our job has been done, even if it's in disagreement with us. But I think that in this particular case, the, the mom's lesson was, and it was a good lesson for all of us as parents, mm-hmm. is to make sure that when they show an interest, give them the information as opposed to just hurting them along and thinking, well, they're not capable of understanding and just imposing your own belief system on them. Teach them and give them the reasons, give them the tools that they need to learn so mm-hmm. they can uh, discover the truth for themselves. And I think that was a very good learning point. I agree with you there. So yeah, feed, feed, feed them until they're satiated. Obviously, if you overfeed them, then it becomes something that they're more likely to rebel against. But if they're pulling it and they're saying, you know, I want more, pay attention to that and provide that for them. Because, you know, in my life, as I said, I can speak about my experience. 
I'm grateful for the freedom that my creator, God, gave to me to screw up because I've learned the greatest lessons by the times I've made some of the stupidest decisions. And I'm like, gosh, man, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never do that again. Right. But if I try to, if I was, let's say, if I had parents that tried to protect me from every mistake that I made, I would never experience to the point of indelibility. And I would continue as an adult to make the same stupid decisions. And you think you're helping someone by preventing them. And I, yeah, I had these lessons as a child in my interactions with my sister. So I, you know, this is why I'm so pro-freedom ultimately. Now, there's guidance when they're kids. I'm not going to say, hey, go out in the street and try to dodge the cars, right? It's not that. But, you know, basic common sense we want to apply here. Well, I completely agree. And, and I think that fathers more so than mothers, fathers will tend to not protect as much so that the child falls and skins up their knees and learns their lesson. Moms tend to protect a little bit more. But I think that that lesson is very important. I know that with my own children, uh, at least two of them uh, have at times said to me, Dad, did you take it easy on me, Dad? Did you do this, you know, to help me? And I look at them, and I, you know, I, I, like perfect example is when Abby, I remember when he was sparring and learning how to spar, and I was keeping him in a corner and just pounding on him. And at one point I was even questioning if I was a good parent because I was beating him up so much. <laughs> but when he finally, you know, started getting out of that corner and, and pushed me back, he was like, Dad, did you take it easy? We took off our, our protective gear. And he goes, Dad, did you take it easy on me? And I'm looking at him. And I unzip my protective gear, and I said, I'm sweating like a pig. I said, does it look like I was taking it easy on you? Because if we take it easy on our children, we're not really helping them to become better and faster and stronger than us. We're just giving them an out. But if we go all out and we help our children and, and challenge them, they're going to become better and stronger and faster than us. And that is what I, as a parent, want of my children. I'm sure that's what you want as, your, as a parent for your children. It's for them to be an improvement upon us. That's the prayer that my dad would say to us all the time, that his one prayer was that that his children be better than him and an improvement on him. And that's what the same thing I desire for my kids. And so if we take it easier, we protect the children, we're not helping them to achieve that goal of being better than and of being an improvement on us. And so that, that's an important part for us to remember as parents. And I think that, I, I know I do that, Robert. I think you do that too. And yeah. I think most parents, if they really want their children to be an improvement on themselves, you have to challenge them and push them to the limit and see what they're capable of doing. Yeah, I recognize that in our Western culture, we've become wussified. I've talked about the wussification of the American male, even, you know, this, this whole gender How do you spell confusion. That? Wussification, How do you spell wussification, right? W-S-W-U, yeah, okay, all right, wussification. But the idea that in certain cultures, if we go back and learn from them, you know, there were transition times, there were rites of passage, especially for the males to get out and tough and learn the ways of the world, and they would come back from these experiences uh, much more grounded in their, you know, self, their identity, their personal responsibility. And we're, we've denied uh, many young people that uh, ability in our softening of the culture, so to speak. Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I agree. And I think it's time that we didn't um, have that. We didn't condone wussification. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the native uh, traditions, they've had these rituals and traditions and they all play a very, very important role. So I think that it would behoove us as a, uh, as a global society, learn from those old lessons and have our own traditions and, and write the passage, if you will, to become yeah. adults. All right, let's uh, do some rites of passage here. We're going to take a break. Those of y'all listening on radio, we'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, we've got some more discussion to have happen here. And then we'll be talking about the upcoming webinar on Autism Defined and the big Advanced Medicine Conference coming up in Los Angeles, Memorial Day weekend. Stick with us. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, wrapping it up here. Advanced Medicine for this week with Dr. Rashid Bittar. We've got upcoming events in the show notes, including the upcoming webinar that's coming up, uh, I think, wow, in a few days, in fact. A couple of days, maybe. Yep. And uh, I want you to yep. reveal why people should sign up, how they should sign up. I know we have links in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. It's Super Don sending out email blasts. But what do they need to know about this upcoming webinar? And then we'll talk bigger about the conference. Well, basically, the autism webinar, it's going to be a little bit different than it was originally planned. Um, I know it's coming up in a couple of days, and we haven't released all the videos. So probably in the next 24 hours, we're going to release all the videos. So there's a total of 11 videos. They've all been produced. They've all been rendered. They're all ready to go. We were just planning on sending them out incrementally, but um, we're just going to get the rest of them loaded up. So if you go to askdrbutar.com, you can just follow the links, and it'll show you how to register for the webinar. Once you get the confirmation email about the webinar, once you've registered, then you can go back. Uh, it'll give you a specific link to go to so you can make sure you watch all the videos in one place. And it's basically all to do with the conversation that we had last year, Robert, on the show where we started talking about autism and somebody that was listening on Facebook made a comment. And then after the show was over, uh, we continued the discussion and there was a lot of interest. And I asked the question, if we did a webinar, if we had a program and that released a lot of this information, would you be interested? And there were a number of people right there on the Facebook live feed that ex- that basically expressed a lot of enthusiasm and interest in it. So this webinar is basically a combination of that. These 11 videos uh, are basically taking segments so people can see what, what the issue is, what the truth behind this entire diagnosis of autism really is all about, and also be empowered with the knowledge and give them some direction, give them some tools, and also a potential solution if they want to pursue it, and that's what it's really about. All right, excellent. So y'all sign up. This one's open to everybody. Uh, you know, there are other things that we'll do that are behind a so-called private curtain because we get out of the public domain and can speak more freely and directly through the IDFW. And those of you who go to advancedmedicine.com, there are links there. And the code for Robert Scott Bell Show listeners to get in is 1358-1358 if you want to go further in that. Now, uh, when we're going to get together uh, in Pasadena with a, a great group of folks that are going to be bringing the healing, right, the power to heal, remind everybody's on board with that. Uh, this is coming up the Saturday, Sunday of Memorial Day weekend in Pasadena, Los Angeles area, California. Again, where there's still some um, early ad- uh, registration discounts available. Those are linked in the notes as well. Anything else, uh, Dr. Patar, folks need to know about that? Uh, no, just that uh, we're we're only three months away. So if you want to get your tickets, start start getting them because now tickets are really starting to sell. Um, we don't know how many yet we still have available. I mean, there's, there's more than enough available, but um, I would want people that if you're thinking about doing this, you need to go ahead and get your ticket now because we don't want to get into a situation where there's not enough tickets or, you know, if you, if you don't want to lose out the, the, the spots that you have. So please make the, um, set the intention to make the plans to be there because it is going to be an incredible event. And I can't even begin to express to you some of the information that's going to be covered there. I know Dr. Lipton's got a number of different things that he's going to present, some of which he's talked about before. Some of the stuff is going to be new. But in conjunction with some of the things, Robert, that you and I are going to be talking about and some of the other speakers are going to be talking about, I really, really believe that this symposium will give, when people walk out, they will have information that is tangible information that they can put to use immediately. In fact, they could start putting some of this information to use while still at the convention and see what the power of it is. 
So there's a, I have like four different things that I'm going to release. Part of the stuff is in the new upcoming book that I have. Well, hopefully we'll announce that book also in May. And uh, I know Dr. Lipton's going to have some stuff. And you and I need to talk about that. Yes. One of your books that's coming up, too. So there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be released first time there. Um, our, our new mango bands that, that people are, some people know about, you know, with the, with the technology, the medically advanced naturally guided optimization technology, along with the uh, volcanic ash and mineral base that creates a balance. Two studies have been, three studies have now have been done on this, on these bands, and to see the power of them. Um, we're going to actually have that available, um, but we are limited to how many people are going to have it available to. So only the people at the conference will actually have that available in the beginning. And then from there, we're going to expand it. So there's a lot of cool things that are going to happen at this conference that nobody else is going to have access to. And those that may end up getting the recording afterwards, which we may make a recording available afterwards, we're not 100% sure yet, um, they won't have access to that information or, or those tools that will be released because we're only limited to what we can release just due to, just due to um, you know, um, finances and, and, and constraints of, of uh, supply and demand type of thing. So... Logistically, we only have so much available, and those will be available to the people that are sending the Right. Well, bottom line, sign up now. Earlier is better. Let us know you're going to be there. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Uh, the webinar coming up. All the links are in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We are about out of time. Great advanced medicine. Go back and listen to the archives. Please share them with everybody you know. Tell them what we need to know, because we got to go. The power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.